burned my first sunburn of the year. Um, my dad has been reminded that he has free slave labor back in the States now. Um, and so my time in exile from Madagascar has officially ended. And he was like, hey, you want to come dig posts with me this weekend? Sure. That sounds like a great weekend, Dad. I appreciate the offer. So uh, enjoyed some time with him. And, of course, we enjoyed time with Melissa's family last weekend. And so I hope that you've had an opportunity to enjoy family, to enjoy the weather, um, and to enjoy all that God has created um, these last week, this last weekend, this last weekend. Today we're going to be finishing up James, so if you want to go ahead and turn to James chapter 5, we're going to be looking at 12 through 20. As you're turning there, you know, we, as we come to the end of this series, anytime we end a series like this, and it always feels a little bit like saying goodbye to a friend. Uh, we've spent so much time with James, we've spent so much time hearing from him, um, that it, it's kind of always a little bit sad for me that we're, we're leaving him. In fact, I'm, I've contemplated just going back and starting at chapter 1, and we'll do it all again. Um, but I'm afraid that, that some of you may, may not enjoy that as near as much as I might. So we're going to move on to something a little different. But well, I am excited to, to, bring, to, come to come to a close of James in the sense that it's been a great book for me personally. Um, I don't know about you, but as I've gone through this series, man, God has met me right where I was at. He's challenged me on some things that I needed to be challenged on. He's encouraged me in ways that I needed to be encouraged. And I hope that that has been the same for you during these last 10 weeks as we've looked at this book. Today, again, we're going to be looking at the conclusion of James. Um, and I'll be honest with you, he kind of bounces around a little bit. So you're going to have to listen closely um, as we kind of go from one topic to the next. I've tried my best to, to tie them together. Um, but James writes in kind of a, a disjointed manner to some extent, and so that's the way we must preach it. Um, and so I hope that you will listen closely and follow along with us this morning. Hopefully by now you've had an opportunity to find James 5, 12 through 20 if you have. I would ask that you stand if you're able to so that we can honor the reading of God's word this morning. All right, James 5, starting in verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to worship you in safety. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you openly. We thank you for the opportunity to experience your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the blessing of family and of a church family 
thank you for the blessing of incredible weather and the creation that you've put around us. Lord, this morning we thank you also for your word. Lord, what a great thing that the God of all creation would use men to put into written form the very words of God, that we may know you, that we may have a deeper relationship with you, that we may understand better who you are and who we are in your presence. Father, I pray for myself this morning, Lord, that you would focus my mind, Lord, that it would not be scattered, but that it would be intently on you. Lord, I pray for us as a church, Lord, that as we hear your word, Lord, that it would change us. That it would not be something that we merely gain knowledge, but, Lord, that we would submit to it. And, Lord, that our very lives would look different because of what you said this morning. Father, we pray that you would speak to us. Because we are listening. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. James begins his conclusion of the book by refocusing very quickly on a theme that we have seen throughout James. He looks at the importance of our word. Throughout the book of James, from the first chapter, throughout the rest of it, James continually comes back to the idea that our tongue must be controlled, that our tongue must show the faith that is living with inside of us. And so once again, James directs our attention back to this point. But just like he has so many other times throughout the book, James is not proclaiming something new, but rather he is taking a teaching from the Old Testament, a teaching from that of Jesus Christ himself, and expounding upon it. Specifically here, he is looking at Matthew chapter 5, 33 through 37. You can turn back there quickly with me if you would like. I just want to read that for you just so you can see the connection here. Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Jesus is talking here and he says, Again, you have heard it said by those, to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Verse 34, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven or for its throne of God or by earth or for for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. James and Jesus both very clearly here make it understandable that what comes out of our mouth must be the truth all of the time. I want to make sure, though, here, as a side note, that this is not a prohibition against all oaths, just as a side note. We see throughout Scripture, Paul take oaths. We see it through other, in other places as well. This is not a prohibition against oaths. We shouldn't, we shouldn't say, oh, well, when I go to court, I can't swear in and all that. I, I don't believe that's what it's saying, and I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole very far. Um, maybe another day we'll have time to really flesh this out. But simply put, I just want you to understand that that's not what he's speaking to here. What, what Jesus and what James, the Holy Spirit, through this is saying to us is that we must have an honesty that is natural to us. That what comes out of our mouth must be believable. Our word must be reliable. 
why is that so important? Why is that so vital that Jesus would take the time to express that to us, that James would then go back in chapter 5 here and highlight it for us? The reason that it is important that our word is reliable is because we are the heralds of the gospel. Throughout the Old and New Testament, we see a picture of us as heralds. We stand on the tower, we stand in the city square, and we proclaim the great news that God has given us, that he died for our sins, that, and then he was buried, and then he rose again three days later so that we might have a relationship with him, so that we might be restored, so that he may pay a price that we never, ever could. And we are to be out and about proclaiming that very message, explaining to people, helping people to see how God has transformed our lives and the lives of those around us, and that he desires for them to be transformed as well. But if we are to be that herald, if we are to be that spokesperson, then we must be believable. We must be people of honesty. If a king were to send a messenger to the people, or if he was to send a messenger to another king to deliver a message, that herald needed to be someone trustworthy. It needed to be someone who was believable. Otherwise, no one would take the message seriously. No one would heed what was being said, though it may itself be true. The same is true for us as gospel messengers. If we gain a reputation of being someone that is not true to our word, if we fail to let our yes be yes and our no be no, no matter the circumstance, no matter what changes after we have made that promise, then we will gain a reputation for being dishonest. We will gain a reputation for not being wholly committed to the truth. We will gain a reputation for not being trustworthy. And in turn, when we proclaim the gospel, when we share our testimony, when we try to invite people to come to this place so that they may hear it for themselves, they won't believe us. It's kind of like the boy who cried wolf. His problem was not in his final message, was it? His final message was true. The wolf really had came. There really was an issue. People and things were really in danger. The problem was not with his final message. The problem was with how he had conducted himself beforehand. The problem was with his speech the rest of the time. And so James makes us, forces us to look back at ourselves and look at our own lives Look at the way that we use our tongue and and ask ourselves, are we being honest in even the small things so that people recognize who we are, so that people understand that we are people of truth, that we are honest, that we are trustworthy, so that when we bring that message of the gospel, there is no doubt in their mind that we are truly concerned, that we truly believe this, and that it is in itself the truth. And so James challenges us with that once again, challenges us to look at how we're using our tongue and the commitments that we're making. So we see here, first, the importance of our word. Second, we see here in this passage the importance of our prayers. And this is where he camps out for the longest time, here from 13 down to 18. 
In a way, James is bringing us the solution to the problem that we've had all along. James is showing us that we have this problem of the tongue and that we must control it, that we must ask God to transform our tongue for our faith to be evident in the things that we say and our commitment to the truth and our commitment to proclaiming the gospel. And here James gives us, in a way, the solution for all of it. The solution for the problem of our tongue is that we use them for what they were made for. The kids did an awesome job this morning. In fact, it was all I could do to kind of hold back tears. I was like, wow, that was easy. It's like they actually nailed that one the first time around. But they did an awesome job to say, why do we have these things? Why do we have these mouths? Why do we have the ability to communicate? Why do we have the ability to form words? Why has God gifted us with language? Because it is the way by which we proclaim who he is. It is by the way by which we praise him. It is by the way by which we share the message that he has given us. I want us to look here in verse 13. He gives us three more ways. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you, there in 14, is, any, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. First, we see we use these things that we've been given. We use the tongue that's put in our head so that we might seek him. If we're suffering, this is a, in many ways, this is a picture back, a reference back to what happens in James 1. Where James begins to lay out, we talked about how he transforms our view of suffering. That we are to see it as transforming us into perfection. And that if we are suffering, that we must seek out wisdom. So too, James says, are you suffering? Then pray. Are you going through a hard time? Then get on your knees with all your heart and all your soul. Use your mouth to search him out. He wants to be found. He wants to bestow upon you good gifts. There in the middle of James 1, we talked about him being the the good father, the father of lights from whom all good things come. We sang about it this morning. What a beautiful picture of the God that we serve. That he desires, as a good father desires, to comfort his children, to impart wisdom to his children, to impart the things that he knows that they need to give them good gifts. So we use our mouths to seek him. We use our mouths to praise him. Let, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. I've shared this many times before, and in fact, I'm not too sure I didn't share it last week. But when we were in Madagascar, I would play my worship music. I would play other music. And I would often have it on in the house or I'd have it on in my car and I would be singing it. And a lot of our hymns, not all of them, but a lot of our hymns kind of have a, a heavy tone to them. They're, they're kind of contemplative. They cause us to search out our soul. And even some of the music that I enjoy, um, you know, I, I like Sinatra once in a while. I like some of those things. They kind of have a different type of melody to them. And I would play some of that music. And the people that I would come into contact with, my Malagasy friends, every once in a while they would be sitting in the truck and they would look at me and they would say, 
your music is sad. Like, it's just sad. Like, all I want to do is cry when I hear your music. Like, even your worship stuff, it's like, man, that does not get me excited. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of see that. Because when you went to a church service with them, if you didn't dance, you were like a a sore thumb sticking out. Like, you were like the odd man out. Not that anybody wanted to watch that from me, but it was expected, okay? And you couldn't really help it. The music was so energetic. It was so uplifting. Even if you didn't understand, but maybe every tenth word, which was about where I was at, you still understood what was happening in that place. You understood that they were genuinely excited, genuinely cheerful about the fact that Christ had brought them from death to life, that he had saved them, that he had done something incredible in their lives, that he had done that for their children as well, that he desired to do that for their island, and they were going to sing his praise. They were not going to let the rocks do their job for them. Can that be said about you in your life? When you praise him, do you have those moments of overcoming joy? We all go through suffering. I understand that not every Sunday do you come in here and go, man, all I want to do is raise my hand and sing praises. There are Sundays that you come in here and you are broken. You are hurting. And there are times when we need to just get on our knees and just pour our hearts out to him. But do you also have those moments when you see God, when you see the resurrection, which we're going to celebrate next Sunday, when you are like these people at the triumphal entry, and you raise your hand, you take off your coat, you throw it in front of him, and you say, what is going on? This is awesome. We do that for other things. You do that for sports. I do. Okay? Cardinals win a World Series. I have a Japanese roommate. I jump off the couch. I'm celebrating, and my Japanese roommate at the time is like, did you take something this morning? Did you forget to take something this morning? We get excited about it at concerts. We get excited about so many other things. But do we get excited about what he has done in our lives? And does it show up on Sunday morning? Does it show up in our, in our week as we praise him, as people look at our lives and they're like, man, that, that guy's just different. Like, yeah, he's struggling. Yeah, he has, pe- he has family members that are crazy. Yeah, he has illness in his life. We all have those people. Don't laugh. But they see something different, and it draws, it draws them to God. Lastly, we see in the last question there, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We seek him with our mouths. We praise him with our mouths. And finally, for this section, we are used, we, our mouths are used by him. This is family. And we're going to touch on this more in the next slide. But our mouths are used to comfort one another. I've talked to a couple people this week and we've been kind of going back and forth about what church looks like. And I was talking with a friend of mine. He, he doesn't, doesn't go here. He, he's from another place. But he was talking to me about church and he said, you know, I, I get tired sometimes of people coming to me and being like, man, I don't feel like a part of this church. I don't, I don't fit in with this clique or I don't fit in with that clique. And he said, I just want to look at him and say, it's a two-way street, people. 
And I was like, amen to that, brother. Because this is what happens. We as a church need to be welcoming. We as a church need to seek out those people who are visiting. We need to seek out those people who are guests. We need to seek out those that are kind of on the fringes. They're part of our family. We need to pull them in. We need to make them feel welcome. We need to find ways to help them to engage in the ministries that we are doing here, to serve them in whatever way we can. And, and we're going to talk about some of those ways in, at the end when we do announcements, that we have opportunities already to do that. But at the same time, if you're sitting here and you feel like you're not connected fully, let me say that it's a two-way street. We want to be welcoming. We want to we engage you. We want to help you in whatever we can, way we can. But, friend, you also need to engage us. How have you found ministry here where you can be around folks? How have you helped us to know what your needs are? This is my other favorite. When I was a deacon at Calvary, people, people would say, why didn't you come visit me in the hospital? I'd say, friend, I'm sorry. I am heartbroken. I didn't know you were in the hospital. Did you try to call me? Well, no. Did you text me? No. Did you send me an email to let me know? No. Did you send a friend? No. Did you send a carrier pigeon or a smoke signal that I might know that you were in the hospital? Well, no. Okay, so you expected me to read your mind? Well, yeah. Just you should have known that I was in. I, I was heartbroken. I wanted to be there for that person. I wanted to pray over them. I wanted to be there for the, them in those moments when life is hard. I wanted to be a brother. But friend, if you don't tell anybody, if you don't even, like, smoke signals, fine, I don't care. If you don't tell someone, if you don't let us know, we can't do that. James is clear here. If you are sick, you send for the elders. Don't make them read for your mind. We want to be here. We want to be family. We as a church want to support you. We want to come alongside you. We want to serve you in every way we can. Help us to do that. It's a two-way street. I'm not saying we're perfect. I'm not saying we haven't at times dropped the ball on that. I know that I've done that in my own life. But it, help us to do that. Help us to bless you. And then in turn, we get blessed sometimes more than you do even. I think we've all had those experiences when we're praying over a friend. And we walk away going, wow, look at what God has done. Look at what God is doing. And we're excited about that. Sometimes we get the blessing as much as the person that we're praying for. So God uses our mouths. Our mouths are to be instruments of honesty, instruments of truth. And in order to help us to maintain that, then our mouths are to seek him in suffering. Our mouths are to praise him. Our mouths are to be used by him. The next thing we see here is the importance of prayers as we continue on with this section is that prayer creates community. It says there in verse 15, in the prayer of faith, 15, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Three things I want us to see here. As prayer creates community. There is nothing, there is nothing that draws the body of Christ closer than when brothers and sisters join together in prayer over a common item, over a common request, over a common need. 
whether it be the health of someone, whether it be the church itself, whether it be revival. That's why Wednesday nights, I, I look forward to Wednesday nights. I'm, I'll be honest with you, there are times at 5 o'clock on Wednesday night that I look at Melissa and I'm like, man, I'm tired. It's been a long week. I'm, I'm not sure I'm up for this. And Melissa will tell you that. And we go and we sit down and we open the word together and we begin to share prayer requests. And we begin to share what God has done and some of the thanksgivings that we have, some of the praises that we have. We begin to share some of our needs. We begin to pray about those together. We break off into groups sometimes and we pray for revival in our church. We pray for our leadership of our church. We pray for the ministries that are going on here. And as I hear those prayers, my heart melts. It doesn't matter what has gone on the rest of the week. It is in those moments when we gather together as the body of Christ in prayer that we are brothers and sisters in the truest sense. Do you have that? Do you have that in your life? James is saying we desperately need this. We need confession. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Sin is one of those things that corrupts everything it touches. It corrupts our bodies. It corrupts our relationships with one another. It corrupts so many things, so many aspects. It even, at times, is the cause of sin. Now, listen closely. I'm not saying that if you are sick, it's because you have done something wrong. But all the time, sin has corrupted our bodies and makes them weak. And there are times... We see in Corinthians when they're taking the Lord's Supper, there are times when your sickness is directly related to sin. God uses it for discipline. But understand that I'm not saying that, you know, if, if you're sick, it's, it's because you've done something wrong. We see throughout Scripture that that's not always the case. But sin corrupts and it makes us sick. And one of the best ways that we can take that before the Lord, that we can open up and say, this is what's going on in my life. I need help is for us to confess to one another. And let me tell you something right now. That can't happen if you only come on Sunday morning. If you only come on Sunday morning, tell me where you're going to confess sin in this environment. It's not, it's not possible. I, I don't have an opportunity to do that. Sometimes I do in front of you. But there are, there are sin that, I, I'm honest, there's sin in my life that I don't want to stand up here and say. And it's important that I have a brother in Christ that I can go to on a regular time, at a regular place, that I can go and I can sit down with that brother or I can call that brother up on the phone and say, brother, here's what's going on in my life. I'm confessing this sin to you. Please pray for me. Do you have that? Do you have a Bible study, a small group, an individual where you can confess sin? Where you can be open and honest with one another? This is why Sunday school is so important. It's another opportunity to gain community with a brother or sister or a group of brothers and sisters and confess sin, encourage one another, pray for one another. Learn about the word in a, in a format that allows for questions and response. You need to invest in that time. Invest in Sunday school. Invest in a Bible study. Invest in the lives of one or two people that are incredibly close to you that we may have confession because it builds community. Second, there's a need for forgiveness. There's a need for forgiveness. 
confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Going up before that, and if he has committed sin, or in verse 15, and the fa- prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. There's a need for forgiveness. If you're a believer, you don't just pray that prayer of confession once and let it go, but daily you need to be cleansed so that the Lord may use you fresh in that day. You don't wear the same clothes every day over and over and over again. They work for a while, don't they? But eventually, people are going to notice. At first, they're just going to notice, hey, I think I've seen that shirt one or two times. Like, in the last one or two days. Then they're going to notice the smell, okay? Then they're going to notice the stains, okay? You don't wear the same clothes every day. In the same way, we must continually put on afresh the forgiveness of God. There's a need for forgiveness, and it happens in community. It happens through prayer, and there's a need for healing. All of us have physical ailments. All of us know folks that have physical ailments. All of us have relationships that are broken and in decay. All of us have so many things in our life that need the touch of the Lord in that moment. We need healing. That happens in prayer through community. And then I love what he does here. He gives us an example in verse, at the end of 16, he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power and it's working. And James, as he has done through the Holy Spirit throughout this book, he predicts what our argument is going to be. Because this is the argument. It says, the prayer of a righteous person does much. Okay, who among you is going to stand here and say, I'm a righteous person? Congratulations, you're with the rest of us. Okay? We all stand here and look at this verse and say, I'm not worthy. I don't have enough to do this. I don't know what you're talking about. And he says, okay, let's look at Elijah. And most of us know the story of Elijah pretty well. Or maybe not. Maybe some of us are a little bit new to it. Elijah has this moment. He has lots of moments. But one of the coolest moments is Elijah comes before these prophets. And, and we're going to get back to the other one, the, the one that James references in here in a minute. But James comes before these prophets of the false god. And he says, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. There's like a hundred of you or more. There was lots of them. There's a bunch of you. There's one of me. You guys build an altar. You guys cry out to your God. And I'll build an altar, and I'll cry out to my God. And whoever lights the altar with fire from heaven, that's who God, who's the true God. So these guys do, and they start, like, they're calling out to this fake God, and they're cutting themselves. And I love Elijah. Go back and read what Elijah says. I can't tell you all those things from up here. Like, he gets kind of vulgar at a couple times. He's like, maybe he's on a trip, or maybe he's in, you know, Relieving himself is the nice way to say it from up here. Okay, but he he says a lot of things. He's like, maybe he's out, cry louder. He mocks them. And then he goes over and he pours water buckets and buckets and buckets of water on this on this thing. Just so everyone knows. It wasn't like Elijah walked over and like lit a match and threw it down and went, Oh, God through heaven. No. He douses this thing with water and then he prays once, God, show him who you are, and boom, fire. And then he's like, Oh, by the way, kill all the false prophets. And it happens. And, and Israel experiences this amazing revival in this moment. It's incredible. What happens in verse 19? Do you know? Or not verse, chapter 19. Chapter 19, first Kings, we see Elijah running for his life. Elijah is a guy like us. He is scared. He is afraid. 
He desperately needs God to intervene. He's like us. He experiences those things like us. And what the point that James is making here is that if a man like that, if a man who is a, a scaredy cat can be used by God to do those amazing things, then imagine what he can do through you, you who already have the promise of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in you. You can do much more. I'm running way out of time, so I'm going to have to talk faster. All right. Elijah spoke the word of God, and therefore the word of God was accomplished through him. This is the, cra- this is the awesome thing about Elijah. You want to know why Elijah was able to do the things he was able to do? It's because the word of God spoke through him. We don't have time to go back and look at, at 1 Kings 17 and 18 and 19 as God continually spoke the word in him and James proclaimed it. But this is the way God accomplishes so much of his work. You guys know Romans 10, 13. I want to read it to you really quick, though. Romans 10, 13, and following says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the will of God. That is the word of God. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they have been sent? You want to see the word of God happen? Then you obey him. The word of God is that Men and women come to know him as their Lord and Savior. The word of God is that you have been sent to make disciples of all nations. How is he going to do that? He's going to do that through you, my friend. He's going to do that through you, my brother and sister. He accomplishes it through his body, through his community. All right, I want to wrap up here. The last little passage, the last little two verses of the book of James. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I want us to see again here the importance of community. I know that we, we kind of camped out on this earlier, but I want us to see it again. Because it's an amazing picture here. This verse is not saying that we save people, that somehow by our actions that people are magically saved. We know that the Lord does that alone through his grace and his mercy, through the sacrifice that he made on the cross. But it is by the community, specifically the church, is the means by which God protects his children. You understand the doctrine, I hope you understand the doctrine of eternal salvation, of security of your salvation, that once you're saved, you're always saved, you can never ever fall out of the hand of God he does that he protects you but one of the ways by which he does that is through the church that when we are community and we see a brother or sister falling away and it happens it happens to all of us there are times in our lives when things happen and for whatever reason we stray to the right or to the left and we should be brothers and sisters who go about saying come back come back come back and it is by, by the church that God gathers his sheep continually in and helps keep them on the straight and the narrow path. Christianity is not a solo endeavor, my friend. It is one that we do together, that we walk together. James, throughout this book, has been calling us to action. He's been calling us to show our faith that change that has happened inside of us because of the gospel through our words and through our actions. And that doesn't happen if you live in a hole. It has to be happened in the, in the community. 
It has to happen in the church of God, in the family of God, among those that are lost. You can't just hide it. So this morning, I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. My question to you is this. Are you part of that community? Are you in a situation where you have opportunities to show the faith and to do the things that God is calling you to do, whether it's sharing the gospel, whether it's meeting the needs of those that are are in need, that are going through tough situations. Are you part of the community? Some of you here today, you've, you've visited us for a long time, and we love you, and we're excited that you come and visit us. But you've never made a commitment to this place. Will you be part of our family today? For some of you, that means accepting Christ for the first time. For some of you, that means maybe moving a letter or or doing whatever. But will you commit that this is where I want to plant my life? This is where I want to plant the life of my family so that we can be a part of all of this, of what God is doing here, and so that we may show our faith in the community of the church and then in the community outside of it. Maybe some of you have been members here longer than I've been alive. Sorry. Didn't mean to make that more than it is, but some of you have been members here a long time. We're excited. You have so much to teach us. You have wisdom to bestow upon us. Do it. Jump in with both feet. Help us to see that. Help us to see what it looks like to be a member, to be a family member of this church. We desperately need that. Let me pray with us, and then you respond how God's calling you to respond this morning. Father, we just come before you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that you've given us. We thank you for the the fact that we have mouths that we can use to praise you. Lord, help our hearts to explode this week as we think about the cross, as we think about the resurrection and what that means for us. And Lord, may it cause us to just explode in joy and in thanksgiving and in praise and in worship this week. May a smile cross our lips continually as we think about that, as we focus on that. And Lord, may it impact, Lord, how we suffer. May it impact how we go through obstacles, through storms. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would be with us as a people. Lord, as I shared last week, Lord, you have put something in front of us. You've put so much in front of us that we need to obey. And I don't know what that looks like for each individual, but I know this, that you have not called any of us to do nothing, but that you have called all of us to do something. Lord, help us to be a church like that. Help us to be a people like that. We pray this in your name.